On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. So on today's Complicated Conversations, we are thrilled to be joined by Annabelle Monaghan. Annabelle is the author of two young adult novels, A Girl Named Digit, optioned by the Disney Channel, and the sequel, Double Digit, so cute, by the way. She is also the author of Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big, a selection of laugh-out-loud columns that appeared in the Huffington Post, The Week, and The Rye Record. She lives in Rye, New York, with her family. Her adult debut, Nora Goes Off Script, is out now, and both of us just loved this book. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Annabelle. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reading my book and thank you for having me. Yeah, we are so excited and we have a lot we want to talk about with the book. But first, I wanted to say, I mentioned it a little bit before we started talking, we get a lot of lawyers and Kate and I are both lawyers and we get a lot of lawyers that turn authors. And it's it's not so surprising. I think the law is a kind of secure and safe way to start your career when what you really want is to write fiction and and get into other worlds. But you started in a way I haven't seen before, at least on our podcast, in, in investment banking. Is that right? How did you get there? And did you know you wanted to write? Yes. Yeah, so I got there completely by accident. And I wanted to be a writer. So I started out like, I think when I was six years old, I wanted to be a writer. Mm. And I was a good English student. And I chose my college because it had a really good English program. And I went there and I took all the writing classes and I bought myself a tweed jacket. I was going to be a writer. (laughs) And then just the practicality of it hit me. It is very hard to support yourself that no one will hire you as it turns out to sit around and write a novel so when I was a senior in college all my friends were moving to New York City and I was like I want to go to New York City so I got a job at a bank and I did that for two years and I I liked it. I mean, I liked it, actually. I thought it was really interesting. The people were interesting. I didn't know what I was doing. And I left there and I got an MBA because that's the thing you do after you do that thing. And I loved that. Like business school is fun. Um, And then I went and got a job in investment banking and I did not love that. And I was really terrible at it. Just like was so, like never has there been a person who is like so far away from their skill set. But it was interesting. And I got married. And as soon as I was pregnant, I was like, I think I'm retiring from this job. So (laughs) I got out of that and I was at home with three kids and didn't write anything actually till I was 37 years old. So it took me a really long time to get back to what it was that I wanted to do in the first place. Yeah. I, I mean, I was mentioning it before we started too. I was a lawyer. And then I was doing real estate finance, originating mortgages. Banks at that time were just cranking them out. This was pre-financial crisis. And 
They needed lawyers in-house to make sure they were doing the right thing right from the start. I was good at it, but it was so far from who I was. Or maybe it was, it accentuated all the things about me that maybe shouldn't be accentuated. My ego, my obsession with money and making money. And those those were always going to be part of who I was, but maybe they were better served in a different way. Maybe maybe that's what keeps me writing when after years I don't have a publishing deal yet. It's it's just it's a better suited life for me here. And you know, we're we're a money society and oh my I gosh. you know, I, I sometimes hear the things that I say to my children about like how they need to support and take care of themselves, which they do oh, because I don't want to yes. support and take care of them. Right. So I, I feel like I'm always sort of delivering that message. But what the message that I want to deliver is that you need to follow the joy because that's really what matters in the end. Like if you can open your eyes in the morning and be excited about how you're going to spend that day and also be able to take care of yourself, that's the win. Yeah. Annabelle, that's so true because, you know, for a while it was working for me and I was feeling joy in law school and as a young lawyer and even those early days on the, the business side of things, I mean, every day is not a great day, but when you know there are way more bad days than good days, it's maybe you've gone off track here and time to reset a little bit. Yeah. And what's the point? So I I am so happy to be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and we are too, let me tell you, because we loved Nora Goes Off Script. We are so excited, as Corinne said. I absolutely loved this book, and I loved Nora. And we always start, actually, here at Pop Fiction Women with our complicated woman. And, you know, when we meet Nora, she has some insecurities left over from her divorce, but she seems happier than she ever was with her ex-husband. She has these two really endearing kids. I loved them. And she's writing again, and she's learning to trust and lean on her friends and, and others. But then this gorgeous, unexpected house guest uh, awakens something in her that was either dormant or, or then I was thinking was really maybe never even there. So we'd love to hear more about your development of Nora and sort of, you know, how you came to know and understand her. You know, I I was about 100 pages into this book before I really understood her, which is a horrible way to write a book. I mean, it's just, (laughs) trust me, not, it's not smart. Don't take my advice. But she really came, I I had a a period of time a couple years ago where I got hooked on the the Hallmark Channel. I don't know if you guys are dumb enough to watch this, but like- you watch one episode and then you watch two and then you watch three and six hours have gone by and they're pretty much the same movie over and over again. And I started thinking about the people that wrote these movies and mm. I started just imagining like, first of all, what if I wrote these movies? Cause it seems like a good gig. Yeah. And I thought about what if you were a person who was writing these movies just to support yourself and if you've never really been in love. And so that's where Nora came from. She's a woman who's recently divorced. She's never really was in love with him. She's never had that real relationship. And now she's in a situation where she's just surviving. You know, she's been supporting her children. She's been supporting her husband. And she's got a ton of debt she needs to work through. And she writes these movies, you know, as a means of just getting by. And I just thought it would be really fun to run somebody like that through a real toe-curling relationship and see what see how she would react to that but I ended up really liking her I like her her practicality and her independence and her resilience 
yeah. by the time I was done with it, I thought, I'd love to know Nora. I mean, she's, yeah. she's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, one thing I really loved about this book, and I don't know if it was your intention or even that you see it as clearly as I do, because I'm always looking for these things. In romance books, a lot of times the woman starts at the top of her career and then she falls in love, but she's never been in love because she doesn't have time for love. And mm-hmm. and I've read this that was book. had a, yeah, it just had <laughs> a very different feel. And or in those books, love makes the woman slip up, and her career is you know down before she redeems herself, or it distracts her, or even like she falls in love and realizes, oh, I don't even need a career anymore. Love is all I ever really needed. But for Laura, uh, Nora, sorry, love and success go hand in hand, and. As she falls deeper in love and as she opens herself up more, her writing gets better and her writing is more successful for herself and to the outside world. Were you trying to convey that with those trajectories or where did that come to you? Kind of. It it sort of just happened. I mean, I did intend it, but I didn't. I didn't intend it until I was finished. I yeah. I wanted Nora is a person who really just sort of appreciates things that are free. Right. Like she Mm -hmm. she likes the sunrise. She likes her garden. She buys her chicken on sale like she just is. She's that kind of a person. And she sort of shuns the finer things. Right. She's going to keep doing what she's doing. And Leo is a person. He's a movie star. And, you know, everyone in his life is on his payroll and he doesn't have time for, you know, things that are free. And so I sort of wanted them to meet in that place where where she opened herself up to success and he opened himself up to things that are joyful and simple. And in that way they could get something from each other. From each other. And uh, you almost yeah. gave him the the tip book using air quotes woman's path, right? Which is by subverting, which is the woman's at the top of her career and doesn't have time for love, which is more of what Leo has. His journey is more of like, I'm a mess. And then she brings in these little things. And all of a sudden, I have a fuller picture of life. I love it. It made me yeah. think while I was writing it about what it means to be rich. You know, like, who mm. who is the person who has a lot? Like, I don't know, if your kids are healthy and the sun rises in your front yard every day, like you're you're doing great yeah yeah and she had joy she certainly had joy in her life love was was a little bit more of an issue but but she had joy in her life and and that is a currency we don't talk about enough Yeah, yeah no i i totally agree and you're leading me perfectly to to more of Nora and leo because you know there are endless ways to explore love and attraction in fiction and what i found so compelling about your novel was how grounded in reality it, it was, even though, like you said, one of the two people in the romance is a famous, rich Hollywood actor. But one of the main points of connection for them is really just doing life together, you know, daily activities with her kids, following their family schedule, just existing in this small town life. And you don't often see those things as the basis for attraction and connection in fiction or in movies, but that's really what's necessary mm-hmm. in real life for a true partnership. So you somehow managed to make that sort of hot and sexy and <laughs> a rom- romantic. And, and I loved that. So was that something you were thinking about when you were writing and something you wanted to explore? Or, you know, I don't know, maybe is there something else you love most about Nora and Leo, but that was 
that part of their connection, I really, really I love, love that you said that. I just, I don't think I've heard somebody say that before. Um, and that just feels really good. I don't know if I intended that, but I think it's because I'm 52 years old. Mm-hmm. I think if I'd written this book when I was 30, things would have been different. Mm-hmm. But I've been married yeah. for 26 years. I'm madly in love with my husband. And like, we walk the dog together. And I mean, we, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just everyday stuff (laughs) that is, you know, we talk about what we're going to have for dinner. Like we talk about dinner a lot and (laughs) I, maybe that is sort of my perspective on romance and loving someone. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, But I do, I love love that that you said that because I actually never thought about that. I think that's just sort of how I find falling in love. You know, falling in love is not like champagne on a Saturday night. I guess falling in love is, but being in love is about, you know, are we out of eggs? Yeah. 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 Mm And, and teasing each other, who's going to get them, who, you know, it's not, it's not all just the checklist. There were, there was romance even in the little things for them. And that can be possible. It doesn't have to be just logistics. It can be a loving conversation about the littlest things. Or watching Uh, somebody interact with your kids, you know, that's like, Mm -hmm. there's like, wow, are you being nice to my kid? I love you. Like that's a, (laughs) you know, that's a, a real life gift. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You on this along these lines, you wrote on your website, which by the way is just a joy to read. But you have oh, such fun you. facts and just so interesting. But you wrote, it always surprises me that you can still get your heart broken as an adult, which is, I guess, the other side of that. And I was like, oh my god, yes. And by the way, you can also get your heart broken when you're married and madly in love with your husband, as I am too by friends, by situations, by your own expectations. And it is hard to remember that. You think it's just something that's for young, naive, you know, kids. And it's not. It's for anyone who puts their whole heart into something. You can get it broken, even as an adult. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think there was a time when I thought like, oh, if I could get married to a good person, then I wouldn't have to worry about ever having my heart broken again. That like is so preposterous. Absolutely. I mean, your basement yeah. can flood and it can break your heart. Like life just yeah, exactly. life just keeps happening yeah. and and your heart grows to to accommodate all of it. Yeah, and it's not but it is about keeping your heart open because you can go through your whole life even your young foolish teenage years and not get your heart broken if you have it closed off to that kind of feeling, that kind of love. I think that that's why why Nora's kids are important in this story, because it's not just a story about her putting her heart on the line. Mm. Her children have had their hearts broken, and they buy into this relationship. So the stakes for her, that's all, are just a lot higher, because now she's put her children's hearts on the uh, line. Oh, I didn't even think of that. You're right. And even though she didn't quite have her heart broken by her ex-husband's leaving, the kids did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, it's another yeah. thing that you put, I'm not, not on your website, but on Instagram about how you set out to write a romance and you wrote a story of motherhood. And that's, you're right, but they're intertwined in this. And I loved that aspect as well. But that's, you're right. I didn't really think of it from the point of view that their hearts were on the line. And that mm. does change the stakes a lot for, for the whole her. story. Yeah. 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 My husband always says, if you have kids, you don't have anything else. 
And, it's, you know, I don't think he's being nice when he says that, but I think that's true. You know, if you're, if you're going into a relationship or you're changing careers or whatever you're doing, you're kind of bringing your role as a mother into it. Yeah. Yeah. So Nora is also a screenwriter and Hollywood plays a big part in this book, which I just love. Gorgeous movie stars. So Nora is the stand-in for all of us, right? We're the normal people and she's got this, you know, trailers full of people and busyness of Hollywood going on, tabloid fodder, you know, going on around her and her adaptation, which is where we find her at the beginning. I just find this world endlessly captivating, especially when it's contrasted with the small town simplicity that we've been talking about. So what research did you do to get Hollywood right? And are you as equally obsessed with, with that world? Uh, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. So oh, I, and no one in my family was in Hollywood in, or involved in Hollywood in any way, but there's a lot of talk. You know, it's like if you live mm. in Washington, D.C., you, you kind of hear a lot of politics, even if you're not involved. I, you know, I watch the Academy Awards every single year from the time I was two years old and we would dress up to watch the Academy Awards in front of the TV. And so that was always sort of a big thing. We went to a lot of movies. But besides that, frankly, I Googled like what trucks show up at a <laughs> at a movie set? Where do they go to the bathroom? Just, I mean, that was really all of my research. And I, um, I think I asked somebody in Hollywood about the after party and how that all worked and what do you do? That was a big thing. What do you do if you have an Oscar at the after party? Do you have to carry it around the whole time? Or <laughs> I, like that was a that was a big sticking point for me. But no, the the yeah. the research that I did was as usual, very, very shallow. Yeah, but it came from, it originated from your upbringing in Los yes. Angeles and just having that be part of, even if you're not in the world, is having it be part of life. Yeah. So sticking with Hollywood, this whole novel gave me such a vibes of Something's Gotta Give, which mm. is one of our favorite movies. Nora sort of breaks free, as we've been discussing, from her cookie-cutter, Hallmark-style romances, and she's having this success, like we talked about, writing her own story, the one of her divorce, writing from her wound, as we like to say. Like, this is where the magic comes for her. In the novel, we don't see Nora writing that screenplay. Obviously, when it starts, she's already at the filming stage. But in my mind... She is like Erica Barry typing tissues, sobbing over her laptop. Like that's how that's her story is pouring out in my imagination. So, you know, we do talk a lot on this podcast about writing from your wounds and, and creating from that space and what that means and really the authenticity that comes from it. So was that something you were thinking about or what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on what that looks like and if that's kind of what Nora was, was channeling? God, I love your questions. That is such a good question. Yeah, I, I think that we do write from our wounds, for sure. And I think that she she wrote that, the, the screenplay, The Tea House, to get the whole thing off her chest. Because she was in a moment where she could no longer write the happy thing. Um, but I do think that 
all writers write from our wounds. For me, I never know which wound I've written from until the book's over. And this book in particular, <laughs> I, it was gone. Like it was through copy editing before I realized that her 10-year-old son, Arthur, is me at 10 years old. Like that was exactly who oh. I was, where I was, how I felt. And I was like, God, this is so creepy. Like my subconscious does so much more of the heavy lifting than yes. my, my fingers and my brain. You know, I'm just like, it, it, when you get into a flow of writing, um, I think that a lot of your your memories, especially if you're writing about children, just come in and sort of take over. And to the extent you have childhood wounds, I think they definitely make it on the page. <laughs> to the extent well, you have them. We all have them. Do <laughs> Nobody we? gets away without them. Oh, yes. oh no, not my children. No, they've no. Perfect... Oh, no, no, not mine either. <laughs> I just meant but, adults. We yes, have them. Yes. <laughs> but it's so, what you're saying makes so much sense because when we, we heard that, a quote from a, a creator when we were doing another episode about writing from your wounds. So we've talked a lot about it. And I think where I would get tripped up is I think if you sit down and say, I'm going to write from my wound. Let me You're cut like, this open. No, yeah, nothing's happening. There's no typing happening. So, And what we hear really from authors, like you're saying, is you wrote the story that was in you, and then only later did you realize your subconscious. How it matched up. Yeah, yeah, lined up. And there are some authors that tell us, I've written five books. I realize they're all about the same thing, the, the same wound. Yeah. I just didn't know it until like there's a thread that yeah. they just can't seem to let go of. But it, it, they're different books, but it's yeah. always the same source. So I think it's, yeah, you just, it's deep down. And I wonder if they'd out. stop at some point. I wonder if, if you've ever get to mm -hmm. a point where you've written, you've written about that wound so many times mm -hmm. that the wound itself heals I and you so. go to another wound um, yeah. or, or you just move on from it. I mean, I wonder if it's yeah. just, that's a really long way of going to therapy, but yeah, um, it's just <laughs> Writing a book, it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I want to talk about genre a little bit. So this is a love story, obviously, but it has lots of twists and turns. It's not a mystery, but there are certainly some elements of, I don't know, it's not straight romance. And it has a pretty big midpoint twist, and that is shockingly explained at the end. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't yet picked up this book, but can we talk about genre? Were you trying to write a straight romance? Where do these twists and turns come from? What were you thinking? And were you thinking, I don't know if I've written something that's, you know, straight down the middle and is that going to be a problem? What, what were you thinking as far as genre goes? You wouldn't believe how little thinking I do. It's just not, doesn't yeah. happen that often. I, I wrote this book during the first couple of months of lockdown quarantine as like, you know, March, April, May, 20, 2020. And I frankly, like, I didn't know if we were going to survive as, you know, humanity. I mean, a lot of us were in that mind space. And I just had yeah. this idea and I started writing. Mm -hmm. And I honestly did not know if anyone was ever going to read this book. I just, I didn't want to watch television. My children were asleep all day. I just was like, I'm going to write this book. So all I wanted to do was tell a story that I would want to read and that would be fun for me. And it was, frankly, writing this book was the most joyful experience that I've had to date in my life. So that was all I set out to do. I 
never, including in my young adult books, I, I have a hard time writing something that doesn't have a little romantic quality to it because that's what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always looking for the romance. Like when I read a thriller, I'm like, ooh, maybe the cop yeah. will fall in love with the widow. <laughs> like, yes. and, it, and then it doesn't happen. And I'm like, oh, I wanted Aww. one kiss. Yeah. So I, and then, and then when I sold the book, it was, it was talked about as women's fiction. And I said, okay, I'm a woman. It's fiction. I don't know. And then when it came out, people reacted to it as a romance. So I don't know. And I think that Putnam put it out there as both uh, to see what would, where people would grab onto it. But I, I don't think that I was schooled enough in what the genres were. But if you had asked me before it came out, I would have said it was women's fiction. Yeah. And did you think to yourself, though, that I need this twist and it's going to be, no one will know how it happens at the end. Did you, or you were just entertaining yourself as you were going. Yeah. I, yeah, I was good. just, I was just having the story and you know, you can't have a love story where two people are happily together the whole time because that's <laughs> a really short story. So I knew there was going to be a thing and I knew how I wanted it to work out. But I honestly, until I got there, I didn't know how that was going to happen. So this is why I don't write a mystery because I don't plot things out. I find out while I'm writing. So I didn't know. I mean, I found out as soon as you did in in the writing process. But it ended up making sense to me. I mean, that was, it was building in that direction where those parts of her life were, I don't know, I'm going to do a spoiler, but yeah, um, no, yeah. So I make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was. You had put all the threads down, but you had done it, what, I guess what you're saying is more subconsciously. It wasn't like, oh, here I've reached chapter three, must hint about this. It wasn't like that. It was really just as you were going. Yeah. We could get back to the fact that I was not a good investment banker. Like, <laughs> I don't make a lot of lists. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. And I do like to start a book with a premise and I'm moving towards a happy ending because... I like those endings, but I generally don't know how I'm going to get there. I did want to talk about book two because you're going to stay on that. Yay. I know you've already sold it. And now you're adding a wedding. She's planning her wedding. She is 30 years old. She brings her fiance back to her parents' beach house to look at a wedding venue. And her old boyfriend is living next door. And the story unravels what happened to their families and what happened to them and who she has become. See? And is it done? That was a great elevator pitch. I don't know. I don't know. We, we, need, we need to do a little editing. It is done. <laughs> you have a year. It, it is, is done. done. We just had to change the title, which made me think that I was going to have to rewrite the whole thing. And then I didn't. So that was oh. fine. But I, I, it was done as of two days ago. Oh, that's wow. exciting. So, yeah, it comes out next summer. And it's called yeah. Same Time Next Summer. Oh, which I is love perfect that. because we'll be having this conversation again exactly. same time next summer. Same time next summer. Yeah. And did you write it as quickly and with as much joy as I know you wrote Nora Goes Off Script? Because you wrote this fast. I mean, you said 
the, the beginning of the lockdown, but I think you wrote the first draft in like three months. And you I were did. getting up earlier and earlier because you were so excited to get back to your laptop. It was really amazing. Fun. But the first oh. draft of Nora was a hundred pages. I mean, I so <gasps> that's that's how I write. Thirty thousand words. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And I tried to convince people that thirty thousand words was a book. <laughs> they were like, No, <laughs> not actually a book. So it took longer to to get it to where it was. But yes, the bulk of what you see was was done in a couple of months. This book, same time next summer, is goes back and forth in time. And that is really hard on my brain. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't know I could do that. And so that was a little bit more challenging with the left side of my brain than, than writing a book that starts, you know, on one day and ends on another day. But it mm-hmm. was really fun. And it was really, it was this... This new book is, it's more of a a love story. It's more romantic. And it was really fun to explore rather than new romance, like a lifetime of romance and Hmm. what that means. That looks like, yeah. Yeah. I love that. You're selling us hard here. We're excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So speaking of your brain, I wanted to talk about another thing. We always talk about astrology on this podcast. It's one of, no one escapes without having been tortured with the question of what is your sign, but we know yours because you said, I share a birthday with Andy Rooney and LL Cool J. This fact is the lens through which I view the rest of my life. That's from your website. I love it. I'm dying. Please tell us more. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I'm obviously as cool as LL Cool J. Obviously. Obviously. We know that now. We're all Capricorns. And I do write a, I write a column that sometimes when I'm getting really sick of myself writing the column, I'm like, God, I feel like Andy Rooney. You know, remember he used to come on, he was like, Andy Rooney, you know, what's kind of weird. You ever notice how that whole thing, I can get like that. And I'm like, God, I've got to, I'm getting too Andy Rooney with that. But guess who else has my birthday? I just learned Jason Bateman. Oh, that's oh, great. I love him. Oh. He's I, one year older fantastic. than I am. And he was born oh. in the town where I live. Oh. Wow. Okay. That's big. Although we have no hospital here, so he probably went someplace else to get born. But his family was living in Rye, New York when he was born. Still. So we're on a collision course. We'll meet at some point. That's going to be your Hollywood moment. (laughs) Yep. Do you love young Jason Bateman, current Jason Bateman? I love them all. Current. Current. I think he's getting better. I I think, first of all, I listened to Smartless, the podcast. Do you guys listen to it? Yeah. It's it's such nonsense. I love it. I love all the nonsense. And (laughs) The way they rib each other. Yeah. I love it. We have a lot of episodes on Ozark on this podcast. I'm glad they're quitting while they're ahead, which more people should do. We should yeah. have fewer sequels. I'm, like, I'm all about the limited series. Me too. Give me 10 episodes. I'm done. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. I mean, I, I know people want to, you know, go back to that same well. I understand why the industry does it, but I could do without going on forever and ever. No, I agree. So we always end with asking our authors what they love, what they're obsessing over right now in books, movies, or TV shows. You've obviously obsessing over Ozark, but that is over. So I don't know if you've moved on to any new obsessions in the in the book or movie or TV land. Well, I'm, I'm currently reading Tomorrow and Tomorrow and yeah, Tomorrow. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have to tell you, there's a good chance I'm going to stop writing. Like oh, no. this book, oh, no. 
and, put it down then. And it's so funny because I mentioned this to a couple of other writers and they said that they felt the exact same way, that wow. it's so good that she's the only person who should be writing. Like wow, no one else is, should be writing. Yeah. I have it sitting on my, ta- on my to be read pile, but, but that's a, that is high praise. No, right it's, there. it's ridiculous. And as soon as I finish, I'm going to have to find a really terrible book. Don't recommend one to, that I can read just to get my confidence back because right. that is, and I just don't, you don't read something like that very often that just is like, you know, a mic drop kind of a book. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 I, people are saying that's all the talk. And the thing is, though, she doesn't write that often. So she can't be the whole industry. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I guess that's others, true. Okay. Yes. I guess we could just keep rereading it. The other thing I read recently is called The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Cohen Leugman. And it comes out September 20th, maybe. And that is magic. It is just, it's, it's, oh. it's a dual timeline historical fiction, like that spans three generations and it is mm. perfect. Those are all some of my favorite things. I love multi-generation. I love all of that. So that's a good one. I'll pick that up. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We, again, I know we've said it already, but this one just really bowled us over. And Kate and I have different tastes. So you really managed, you know, to knock it out of the park when you have both of us who couldn't stop talking about this book. I have, so. I have recommended it to more people oh, than any other book right now. So, wow. And, and I read a lot. Of, we read a lot of books, but I'm like, that's for this right. Summer, I'm like, you guys got to read Nora Goes Off Script. Go read Nora Goes Off Script. Oh, Oh, it's so true. And, uh, and this is the time everyone's texting me behind, like, I know you do a lot of author interviews, but tell me like on the DL, which ones. And this one is at the top of my list. God, it just makes me so happy. I just, I think, you know, as soon as I knew this was a book, I thought it would be so fun if somebody else read this book and also (laughs) thought it was fun. Like, yes. Mission accomplished. I just, the two of you liked it. That's awesome. It's not just us. Tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. Are you active anywhere or I am Annabelle Monahan on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And my website is AnnabelleMonahan.com. And there's a G in Monahan. Yeah. But you gotta figure out where to put it. (laughs) That's it. Not that easy. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen.com or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.